is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 542, recorded on Monday, the 30th of August, 2021. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. It has been a delightful week of time off for me. And now, Jason, I think it's a delightful week of time off for you. That's the plan. That's the plan. The plan is for delightfulness. Well, how's it going so far? So far, it's been delightful. Thank you, Chris, for asking. <laughs> Great. That's really, really good. Okay. Uh, that is that is exciting news. Uh, but, of course, I don't want to screw around before we get into the main event here today. Okay. And that is, of course, our discussion of Season 11, Episode 2 of The Walking Dead, the second half of the season premiere. Nice. Acheron Part 2, it is called. Uh, I don't have a title read for this week. Uh, I, you have all let me down. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if the internet lets you down, it's pretty much expected. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. That's all it really does, let me down. That's not true. I appreciate everyone so much. Anyways, Season 11, Episode 2, Acheron Part 2. Let's just jump right in. Surely. We pick up, Jason, uh, basically where we left off last week, and that was Maggie falling off the back of a train car and Negan not reaching down to help her. But what we see this time is a shot from under the train car looking out, and we see a single zombie that Maggie is kicking. She, she falls back down, lands on her feet, fights it off. She tries to climb back up, but it appears that a zombie under the train car grabs her. So I think maybe the shot from under the train car was supposed to be like zombie view as it makes its way towards the back there. I would assume so. Or that zombie magically appeared out of fucking nowhere. Well, that can happen. I mean, we know there are stealth zombies out there, but I think what they were trying to get at is zombie slowly approaching from underneath. And she, mm -hmm. of course, doesn't see it coming. So... Um, it, it gets her, Maggie ends up on the ground on her back shooting zombies. And at one point she runs out of ammo. We know cause the gun starts clicking and then it appears that she is overtaken on the ground by zombies. Yeah. Go same thing happened to Glenn under a dumpster. So there you go. Yeah. We go to opening credits and it looks like Maggie's a goner. Uh, I mean, I never believed for a second she was, but it kind of- Oh, yeah. I thought she was dead for sure. Oh, yeah, did you? The, you know, world's shortest open, uh, cold open. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't very long at all. And, uh, I, you know, once somebody falls down, uh, you know, a major character falls down with zombies all around them, they're dead. Like, there's no coming back from that at all. We've learned that over and over again throughout this, the course of this show and many other shows. Uh, yeah, there's no way uh, to come back from that. There is no possible way she could survive this. Now, we don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like it. Instead, we go inside the train after the opening credits, and uh, the rest of the gang starts dropping down into the train car through a hatch on the roof, because, of course, that's mm -hmm. where they were. Father Gabe comes in first. He starts killing a few walkers in the train, and then the rest of the gang starts dropping in, and uh, they go to check the door to the next car, but find out that it's jammed and rusted shut. 
Yeah, and uh, I guess I was wrong. I thought that uh, Negan was just kind of ducking away, like the, at the end of the uh, uh, of the first part of the season premiere. Negan ducked away and just left Maggie there, uh, what looked like just to die. And I thought for sure that uh, he was just going to get some tool or implement or something to help her out in the end. But uh, I was way wrong. Uh, you know, yeah. he just said. Basically, fuck you, uh, you know, you're on your own. Good luck. Yeah, pretty much. Well, Negan comes into the train car last, and Alden asks him where Maggie is, and he says, well, I don't know, she was right behind me. <laughs> so yep. he, he definitely abandoned her. Uh, Alden wants to go up looking for her, but the rest of the group says they just got to keep moving forward through the train car. You know, that's what Maggie would want us to do, save ourselves. Uh, Negan goes to try and pry the door open so they can keep moving. Mm-hmm. Because he's got the crowbar. He has the crowbar, right? He's actually using the crowbar for kind of what it was intended for. Yeah, it's for crowing. <laughs> crowing and barring, exactly. That's right, yeah. Uh, we cut over to Daryl, who comes busting through a wall into another tunnel. So if you remember from last week, Daryl didn't go up on top of the subway car. He decided to go under and follow dogs. So he's been separated from the group. He ends up in this other subway tunnel and there's a whole bunch of stuff all over the place. It seems like there've been people living here a long time ago, but it's abandoned now. As he's kind of making him, making his way through this stuff, he sees a, a sign on the ground that says Aloha and mm-hmm. messages written on the wall something like it comes for us all. And then he passes a briefcase full of money with a severed arm handcuffed to it. Yeah, that's really weird. And there's bullet holes in the wall everywhere. So that's just kind of weird. I didn't notice the bullet holes. So you think there was some sort of uh, last stand kind of gunfight down here? Oh, who knows? Maybe yeah. just frustrated people decided to destroy their hearing by firing off a firearm in a uh, enclosed <laughs> space. That. Doesn't seem like a smart thing to do, but you never know. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're frustrated enough, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's an option. I suppose it is, yeah. Uh, now, he also sees a large mural on the wall depicting what I think is the U.S. Capitol building on fire. Uh, it looks like it to me. There's also people fighting, and some of the people in this mural are wearing gold crowns. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, they do, right. Um, and at the top of the mural is a well-dressed couple holding, I think, a female child, all with their golden crowns on. And there are messages on there like truth and lies, your, your crown, your life. Or there's, I think it's, it was hard to see what the word in there was. It almost looks like your crown fun, your life, but I don't think yeah. that was it. Yeah, I'll take a look here in a sec. All right. And then no home, no work, hungry. Uh, and that last message is held by, is, was on a sign held by people with broken crowns. So there's some sort of, um, class distinction theme to this mural, I would say golden crowns versus non-golden crown people. Yeah. Well, I think it, it does say, it does look like it says your crown fun your life, but it's probably your crown for your life. Yeah, I think that's pro- probably makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but is, but is there anything else in this this mural you took away or noticed uh, about what's going on here? Like there was a, there was quite a bit going on, I'd say, in this in this painting on the wall. 
There was just one last depiction of what looked like a bunch of zombies overwhelming somebody with a crown. Are, do you think those are zombies or do you think those are people overwhelming someone with a crown? Because that's kind of what I was getting at here, thinking this is a bit of a, you know, the haves and the have-nots clashing somewhat, like the crown people and those who don't have crowns. You know, the zombie apocalypse kind of levels the playing field a little bit when it comes to the haves and the have-nots, I would say. And I think maybe that's what this mural was depicting. Or maybe the zombies are the have-nots and the living people are the haves. Yeah. Right? They have life and the uh, the non-crowned people don't have life. Uh, so, you know, it could be a class struggle, but it mm-hmm. also just could be, uh, you know, symbolism for the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Well, maybe the zombie apocalypse is symbolism for a, cl- a class struggle. Well, in general. that has been a thing before for sure. I'm kind of wondering if this is going to play into the greater season in any way, or if it's foreshadowing for something, right? Maybe, Mm. maybe at the Commonwealth, there's a real difference in class structure and whether this has anything directly to do with that or not, it's kind of thematically putting it out there. And I don't know, for some reason we needed Daryl to see it and stand there all mopey thinking about it for a while, because it's kind of what he did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. You know, why get in the way of showing us stuff, right? Yeah. What's he going to do? Talk to dog? And say, hey, dog, look at the crown people and the non-crown people. And, oh, this says uh, your crown fund your life. That's weird. That is weird. <laughs> you know, it's not like Daryl to just kind of uh, wax poetically uh, when he's uh, by himself or just with dog. No, that's or true. Or with anybody else, really. <laughs> or at any time. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't mind if he spoke to dog a little bit more, to be honest. I, I think dog might make for a good conversation partner. I talked to the squirrels outside. I think we really, as a family... I think we really need a pet pretty soon because we're starting to talk to the squirrels. Right? The squirrels are playing with, there was a squirrel playing in the hammock today. And I don't understand. He was just running back and forth and moving around in there. I thought maybe he had a friend in there and they were frolicking, let's mm. say, or he was hiding nuts or going to the bathroom. I don't know. We went out and checked it out. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing going on. He was just playing in the hammock. So, uh, and I, I had a whole conversation with this squirrel about playing in the hammock. And, uh, so yeah, if I was in the tunnel with a dog, I'd spend a lot more time talking to that dog. I can tell you right now. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I can just imagine you going out there and there's a squirrel in your hammock and you go, Hey, squirrel buddy, what are you, what are you doing in there? I'm, I want to sit in my hammock. I don't want your nuts hidden in my hammock. That's not The, the squirrel's name is Squippy. Oh, I'm not sure it's the same squirrel. We just call the squirrel, the Squippy and Squappy, the, the two squirrels that kind of run around. I'm not sure if this is Squippy or son of Squippy because, <laughs> uh, you know, who knows what happened to the real Squippy? Right. I don't know. There could be 12 Squip Squippies. I don't know. But that's what we call it. Okay. Well, say hi to Squippy for me next time you see him or don't. I, I sure will. Or it could be her. I have no idea. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not discriminatory there. Yep. Uh, all right. Back to the episode. We go over to the Commonwealth and we have Yumiko and Princess back in their cage. Princess is going on about how awesome Yumiko's brother is. So apparently it was her brother in the photo. I'm pretty sure last week we said sister. Isn't it sister in the comics? It is. Yeah. So maybe that was the, uh, I didn't really notice but I think maybe you saw it, sister, and I just kind of went along with it. I I don't really recall. Yeah. But I think uh, from what we talked about last week, 
uh, it was sister in the comics. So they're changing things up a little bit. That's okay. Yeah, no, totally okay. Uh, I just, you're right. You haven't read that part of the comics, so I probably just assumed, and I was incorrect. So it's Yumiko's brother, but uh, Princess is very excited about the fact that her brother might be there in the Commonwealth, and what a what a great dude he's going to be, she assumes. Yeah, no doubt. Now, Yumiko realizes that this means that the Commonwealth must have laws and societal structure, and she decides that she wants to speak to somebody in charge. She figures that she can talk to them or talk them into something because she used to be a lawyer, and that's kind of what she did. Now, if I can drop a rather mild comic spoiler here, hopefully nobody minds, but if you do, just skip ahead a little bit. In the comics, I think as we mentioned last week, this was Michonne who saw somebody she knew on the photo wall and not Yumiko, because of course Yumiko is not in the comics, right? And Michonne was still at this time. And um, Michonne, as we all know, was a lawyer pre-apocalypse as well. So so Yumiko is basically standing in for that, but same backstory, at least when it comes to profession. Uh, That's what they're doing here, obviously. Ah. Okay, samesies, got it. Yeah, samesies, but differencies. Uh, Now, a guard walks by, and Princess mentions that it's the same guard from last night, and she knows they tried to leave, but Yumiko says nobody knows, and then suddenly Eugene runs up and says Ezekiel's gone, and I'm like, what do you mean he's gone? He hasn't been here, he wasn't here at all, as far as we've seen. Uh, But Eugene's freaking out, he wants to come clean. Yumiko says, no, 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 stick to the story. And then she gets up and demands to talk to somebody who can give them some answers. Okay. So nobody knows that they tried to leave. Well, that adds a whole different dimension to them getting, uh, uniforms and trying the, uh, the Wookiee prisoner exchange gambit. Uh, they did that without those guards knowing. I don't know, man. I, all of this just served to confuse me even more about what the hell is going on here. Are they even prisoners or not? Like, if they can just try to sneak out by overpowering some people or stealing their armor and putting it on and then just kind of come back, are they being held there? Like, they're talking like they're prisoners, but then Eugene seems to have just shown up out of nowhere. Like, was he just in another part of the cage or was he somewhere else? I don't know. There's a fence, but maybe the fence is just a decorative choice. I, right? I don't Maybe know. It's just you know I you know I've been to bars like that where they have fencing, and even the bar uh, in the, the first Terminator movie was like that, right? It had uh, it was some kind of noir, metal noir kind of eighties thing where the fencing was uh, was part of the uh, ambiance. Yeah. So maybe it's just an aesthetic that they're trying to uh, turn to establish there. I just uh, the Commonwealth they got style. Well, they got style. If but they've I... got pumpkin armor. And they've got white armor, stormtrooper armor. Uh, you know, they've got, they've got some style to have, you know, issues. They've got some aesthetic going. I, you're totally right, but I don't think the show has done a very good job of setting the stage for why, like, just the details, right, around are they being held, are they not? How is it possible, like you said, nobody knows they tried to leave? They literally spoke to another guard while they were doing the Wookiee thing, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, that person knows something was going on. They stole armor from people while they were, like, you know, shirking their duties doing it somewhere. 
those people probably know they tried to leave. Like, I just, I don't think the show has done very good explaining the details of, of, of all this. Yeah. And okay. So maybe I've been watching too much Law and Order lately because I've been watching way too much Law and <laughs> Order lately. I was going to say, that's a guarantee. <laughs> but if you've got a group of people that you're trying to extract information from and you're trying to get uh, a story out of them, you don't let them go into the same cell unattended to get their story straight and then question them individually. You separate them mm-hmm. and you keep them separated and you compare their stories instead of letting them have uh, complete autonomy to have discussions and to go somewhere else and to try to escape and decide that you don't want to escape after you've escaped and come back and nobody knows. There's, uh, there's some gaps here. Yes, there are. I, I understand what's happening. Like I can follow along, but there are too many gaps. I just think there are too many gaps. And I started thinking after watching this episode, would it have been better, Jason? And, and I was going to bring this up at the end, but you know what? It feels right in here. So would it have been better if maybe they did these two episodes, not as a two-parter, but the first one being the whole uh, train story with that group, and then the second one being the whole Commonwealth interrogation story and that group, instead of jumping back and forth? I don't know. Like there isn't, I, I'm not saying that there would be a better or more footage or anything like that, but it feels like it might've been given them the opportunity to focus on these two individual plot lines rather than try to jump back and forth and make them sort of both a little bit confusing. Not that the train one is all that confusing, but the Commonwealth one, I feel like is just underdone a little bit. You know, it's not fully baked or thought through. And I wonder if they'd focused on it as an episode by itself, it might have come out a little bit better. I don't know. That's a tough call. That's a tough call to yeah. have because uh, it's 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 a lot more entertaining to uh, intermix stories, uh, you know, a plot A and a plot B than it is to just have pl- all of plot A and then all of plot B, right? Uh, it's just. I think that would probably, I think we'd be complaining for a different reason if that were the case. You could be very right about that. And I, that occurred to me as well. I mean, if they, if they just told the Commonwealth story exactly the same as it is now, but all in one group, I don't think it would be any better. They have to rethink it a little bit for sure. But it occurred to me that maybe if they just focused on them without the need to jump back and forth, they could have done that. But as it stands... I just feel like you said, there's way too many gaps and not enough detail in exactly how they're being held and kind of why and for what purpose and and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So anyways, um, we go back to Daryl. Now he's looking around at all the stuff still in that subway tunnel. He finds a bag with a bit of food in it and a hundred dollar bill with a message on it. Yeah. And the message says this. Dear Dad, you always said if you don't come back in a week to move on. Mom didn't listen and went looking. It's been three weeks, so we're going next. I'll watch Jesse and turn on the radio at every day at 10. See you both soon. Love, Tom and Jesse. And then along with it is a photo of two kids, which I assume are Tom and Jesse, and they're holding a stuffed bunny toy. One of them is, and 
I am pretty sure that we saw that toy amongst the bagged walkers in episode one. It was on the ground, and then I think maybe Maggie or somebody picked it up for a moment. Oh, I didn't catch that. Good catch. Yeah, it's there. I, I went back and checked. I, I found the scene in the first episode where it's on the ground. Um, so, yeah, that's that. Uh, again, seems like a lot of information about these people that were down there, Tom and Jesse and so on. So I'm kind of wondering if this is going to come up again or if this really is just a throwaway scene to to set the scene for what was happening in that train tunnel you know, all those well, years ago. I vote for it's coming up again because, and I guess the only other thing I have to say about this is if you're going to name your kids, Tom and Jesse, just suck it up and name them Tom and Jerry. Like you're obviously doing that. So you might as well. You know, I would agree with that, but Jesse's a girl, so it doesn't work as well with Jerry's Jesse. a girl, Jerry Ryan. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're absolutely right. I forgot about that. So forget it. Tom and, and Jerry. Jerry, what's her name? Comedian. So Jerry Ryan's from Star Trek. Uh-huh. Uh, and various other things. Uh, and then there's Jerry. Ah, she was in, uh, she was Joe's cousin in, um, different, not the different strokes. Uh, what was the name of that show? You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. And there you have facts of life. Facts of life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it came to us at the same exact moment. <laughs> yeah. I had to sing the song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was, uh, she was Joe's cousin in the facts of life. She was also in Deadwood. Her part in Deadwood was fucking brilliant. Anyway, uh, Jerry something. Damn it, I forget, forget her name. Anyway, Jerry's a good girl's name, just like Jesse. Yeah, okay, fair or enough. Jody. Fair enough. Should have been you know, Tom I and Jerry. A, yeah, I know. And Jerry is good for a girl. Yeah. And so is uh, Tom, really. <laughs> if you have to. I mean, why not these days? Really, do whatever you want. I always thought Stanley was a nice name for a girl. Like, ever since I was young. Huh. Well, you're going to have to have another kid. It'll be a daughter and you can name it Stanley. I've, I've, you know, we've had this conversation. We didn't know what the gender of Jasper was going to be until he was born. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, we're banding about names and stuff. And, uh, I was not allowed to use Stanley for a girl. It's unfortunate. Well, she can, uh, you can just keep living that dream or not living that dream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Tom and Jerry would also work for, uh, one person one boy all one word tom and jerry tom and jerry like bert and ernie yeah you know this is my son tom and jerry and this is my other son bert and ernie <laughs> it works <laughs> it i'm not gonna say it doesn't work <laughs> yeah all right uh let's get back to the episode here so dog he's there too of course he finds a zombie in a sleeping bag daryl shoots it with his crossbow and then he notices what looks like a map painted on the wall maybe a map of the Train tunnels? I'm not really sure. Hard to say. And I also think it says demons in various places on this map. But again, a little bit difficult to read. So I was thinking this is a map of the local train tunnels and they've sort of marked where walkers are. And so, you know, don't go where it says demons kind of thing. Ah, yep. I don't know. I'm not sure. All of a sudden, Dog hears something. And according to the subtitles, it's a man screaming. Uh, but I couldn't really pick that out from the soundtrack. It didn't sound like a man screaming to me, but that's what they said. Dog runs off and goes into a small round tunnel and Daryl follows. So what, uh, are you sure about that man screaming? Cause the, what, where did you get the subtitles? You were watching it on, uh, AMC plus. I was in, uh, actually, 
Yes, I was watching it on AMC Plus. Yes. Okay, because on the the iTunes uh, subtitles it says "man roaring." Oh, um, you know what? Now that I think about it, the subtitles may have said "roaring" for me as well. Oh, okay. e- either way, though, it didn't sound like a a man, a human to me. Did it sound like a roar? Yeah, maybe a little bit more than a scream for sure. Okay, well, it, you know, they could have a lion roaring, but you know, why would a lion be down in these tunnels? I really couldn't tell you. But, a tiger, I could buy. Oh, of but a course. lion, forget it. <laughs> forget it, yeah. Anyways, Daryl runs off following Dog, but we go back to Yumiko, and she's sitting with the two Commonwealth interrogators again, and she basically lawyers the shit out of them, is the way I like to describe this. She does most of the talking. She's figured them all out, lays it all out on the table. She mentions what they did in the past, how the Commonwealth works, uh, you know, she's taken some guesses, some shots in the dark, but it's all landing pretty well, I think. Uh, she also figures out that they use the U.S. dollar, but it's strictly controlled. And then she tells them that her brother is there. So she wants expedited processing to allow them into the Commonwealth to find her brother. Uh, and then Mercer comes in and brings her some coffee. So I thought this whole scene was great. I really enjoyed watching Yumiko just lay it all down for them and putting them in their place. Yeah, lawyered. 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 So uh, the only real problem I have, and I didn't realize it last episode, was uh, uh, if you were in the zombie apocalypse, fine, sir, and uh, you were in charge of interrogating somebody in order to get information, would you wear a suit and tie? Uh, You know what? I think I would. But then again, I don't own a suit and tie. No, I don't either anymore. At least the one I do own doesn't really fit me anymore, and I haven't had yeah. need for one. And I must admit, sidebar here, I do worry about that occasionally. Like, what if an event, an unexpected event happens where I need to wear a suit and tie or just look good dressed up? I don't have one to put on. You know, I'm not hoping for that because, you know, I'm thinking funeral or something, but... You go buy one. Yeah. If there's an opportunity for that kind of thing to happen, you're going to have a day to go buy a suit. I suppose... Am I going to want to, though? It's going to suck. Yeah. But no, you're not going to want to. Even think of it this way. If you're anticipating something maybe happening like that, possibly in the near future, do you want to go buy a suit right now? No. On spec? No. No. You wait. It's Sure, it's going to suck, but it's going to suck now, even though it doesn't suck as much as it would suck then. But you're not going to do it now. How much wood would it suck, suck then, if a wood suck, could suck? I don't know. It would uh, suck, would suck as much wood as it would suck, suck, <laughs> could suck, if a wood suck, could suck, suck. Um, okay, <laughs> you've made me feel better. You're absolutely right. I don't have a suit because I don't need one, and when I do need one, I'll get one. They have stores where they sell suits. Oh, my God. You could walk into a store and say, I need a suit, and they would go, here's a suit, and then you walk out of the store. After I pay for it. And probably try it on, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, to be fair. All right. Well, anyways, the dude wearing the suit here, I think the point is that he has a job and his job requires him to wear a suit. And this is what part is what part of makes the Commonwealth a society and not just a group of ragtag people wearing zombie masks, right? They wear clothing appropriate for the job they're doing. Yeah. Like orange fucking foam armor. (laughs) Because it's obviously foam. It's not like okay. any kind of hardened material in any way, shape, or form. It's goddamn foam well, I, with 
black straps. I didn't really notice that it was foam. Whether it is or not, that doesn't matter. The point is, it's his uniform, and that's what he wears. They don't have a, the ability to craft hard Kevlar anymore, so they use foam. Well, they have the ability to craft foam? Why not just wear leather? I mean, you're you, the idea is not, obviously it's not going to stop bullets. It's not going to stop knives. It probably won't even stop people from biting chunks out of it. Yeah, but it would right? stop a zombie from biting your flesh. Yes. So wear, uh, wear leather, you know, leather jacket would do just fine. Yeah, but they don't have that. Those, those don't come in orange. That's true. But <laughs> is that a plus or a minus? I, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. It's just, it seems like this Commonwealth, uh, more and more to me, it seems like they, uh, are picking style over function, right? Mm. Wearing the suits, the, uh, the, the chain link fencing for this, uh, that doesn't do anything. <laughs> like the, the, there's probably not even locks. These guards are all like bunched up in this one area. There's like 12 fucking guards in like four square feet. Uh, you know, there's a lot of style going on here. There's a lot of presentation of, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, aura that they're trying to present. Well, I, it, it, it seems kind of weird. I, I think that's an astute observation on your part. Maybe like, you know, I kind of have an idea of where things go in the comic book, like, but maybe, maybe on the show that's on purpose. Maybe they're trying to present this aura of organization. Um, but it doesn't really exist. And I hadn't really thought about that, but you coming from a more, uh, you know, from a standpoint of not really having any information or backstory, I think it's interesting that you've picked up on that, whether it's true or not. Yeah. Okay. Or whether it plays into the, you know, storyline or not. But, uh, you know, I've sort empire, of- then to be fair, the empire in star Wars has the same problem. Right. Right. They spend a lot of time on style, you know, even the rebels, uh, a little bit, uh, but not so much because look at the Y wing, for example, the Y wing, uh, the way they look in the star Wars universe is because all the plating on the outside is fucking gone. Cause they don't give a shit. Right. You can see all the bits and bobs inside. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not plated the way, uh, an X wing is, for example, uh, so they're not so much into style, but that empire, and they've got some tailors and they've got people working on the style of the uniforms and the style of the ships and the style of the guns and the style of the hallways. They got the same problem. Right. To me. Too much time on style, not enough time on killing. Well, it's all about doctrine, right? They're trying to instill a, uh, I guess it's the same thing as the Commonwealth here. They're trying to instill a sense of order to the galaxy. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, the rebels are just trying to fight for their very friggin' lives. It's true. It's very true. Anyways, uh, that was a longer aside. Mercer comes in, as I said, and brings Yumiko some coffee. So Mr. Orange foam wearing dude actually isn't so bad. I thought for sure it would be drugged. You know, oh, just you, you want some, you want some coffee, drink that up and we'll take you on to the next phase of your, uh, indoctrination unconscious. Right. Get her to shut up because she's speaking too much truth. Maybe. Anyways, outside in the hall, Eugene and princess are sitting there. She decides that she has to pee. So she walks over to the guards and tells them in Spanish 
that she has to pee, I assume, because I don't speak Spanish. I had actually no idea what she was saying. Uh, they let her go through a door that appears to be to the outside, uh, based on the lighting. I thought it looked like it was outdoors. And then it one just of- could be very good lighting. And I think it's very interesting that she just knew that this guard spoke Spanish. Right. She just, she didn't, uh, she didn't, you know, ease into it at all. She just, uh, she's so observant. She just knows this guy speaks Spanish. So I'm going to speak Spanish. This is part of her character. Like they are playing this up. She, she's aware of everything. She picks up on every little detail. So I'm starting to believe that she just would know that this guard speaks Spanish, probably because she heard him say two words in Spanish at some point earlier on, right? This is the kind of thing Princess would pick up on. So I think it's kind of a fun character trait for her, to be honest. You know? Yeah, she, I like it too. She, she's aware of everything and picks up on all the details around her. And useful to her team and her survival, right? Everyone yep. else is busy worrying about stuff, doesn't notice anything that's going on, yet here comes Princess the Walking Encyclopedia of local information, and, you know, she'll tell you anything. So I think it's cool. They let her go through this door. Uh, one of them follows her out. Then Eugene is left by himself and he's looking really nervous. He is not having a good time here. Yeah. Uh, we go to a quick scene of Daryl crawling through this small tunnel. Dog is barking somewhere in the distance. We hear walkers making noise, but he's just making his way through. We go into the train car. They're prying open the door, still trying to do that. Um, they go through the door and come to the other end and another door and they suddenly hear SOS being thumped on the bottom of the train car below them. So they pry open a panel, and out comes Maggie. Uh, so Maggie, I guess, despite having a bunch of walkers on top of her, managed to slide herself under the train car, get away, and make her way to this hatch to get back yeah. in. She was taking a real chance there, uh, assuming that uh, zombies don't know Morse code. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's that much of a chance, but uh, <laughs> she needed to let someone know where she was. <laughs> yeah, well, zombies can't speak either, right? So maybe they know ASL, you know, to be able to sign, you know, very simple, uh, simple things. Yes, no, I love you, I have a secret, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, she comes up, Maggie, and the first thing she does is pistol whips Negan and says he left her to die. What does Negan do? He admits it. <laughs> he says, <laughs> so what? You're goddamn right I did. That's right. Um, Most of the group wants to kill him. And he starts saying things like that he's not the asshole because Maggie wanted to murder him anyways. You know, what would any of you have done kind of thing. And he even claims that he's been nothing but helpful to this group. For example, by killing Alpha. Right? No one else killed Alpha. He killed Alpha. And that was very helpful. Yep. So, Jason. Yeah. There, Maggie comes out of this hole and... She decides not to kill Negan in this scene after he left her to die and everybody else wants to do it. And I sat there thinking to myself, I don't believe anymore that she would let him live. And, and why is she letting him live? I would be completely fine and understand totally if she just shot him in the head and they moved on. Why is she keeping him alive anymore at this point after he did what he did? She's decided to let him live a few times now. Yeah. Uh, so she's obviously got some kind of plan where she needs him alive. 
Well, they, the only explanation they've given in the show, really, so far, is that Negan is the one that knows the city. He's basically there leading them through this place to where they're trying to get to. That includes the subway tunnels, right? He knows the subway system, what tunnels to take, the train routes and all that stuff. And, and, and that's it. But I, I just don't feel like that's enough. You know, you, she, she hates this guy. She wants to kill him. He claimed in the last episode that he's only there so that he can be killed at some point, whether it's by her or by just, you know, the difficulties of this mission. He pulls a thing like this, makes the ridiculous argument that he's been nothing but helpful. Uh, and then Maggie's like, no, we got to keep him alive because he, he's the one leading us to the right place here. And I didn't buy it. I, at no. that moment, I was sort of like, Maggie, you got to kill him. Do it. Come on, show. Kill him. Uh, but then it didn't happen. Yeah, he's got the plot device shield for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping against hope that Maggie has some kind of plan for him where she needs him alive uh, at all costs. But it does seem a little bit weird that she would let Negan live, even though uh, he betrayed her and she let uh, Chumley die on the other side of the door uh, because he betrayed her and yeah. betrayed everybody. Uh, you got some inconsistency here, Maggie. Well, and this is exactly what Negan was talking about. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. I agree. And, and I do totally admit that it is maybe weird for me to feel this way after everything Negan has done, like this is the straw that broke the camel's back for me, right? Like I've, I've actually kind of defended Negan in a way over the years, or maybe not Negan and his actions, but I've, I've appreciated the fact that the show has tried to make Negan a complex character and not just this ridiculous, murderous villain, right? They've, they've given him scenes where he's done the right thing and so on. And so I get it. It's weird for me to be all of a sudden like, nope, he has to die. Like all of these bad things he's done over the years, I'm sort of like, okay, fine. This one thing, and I think he's he should be dead. I think maybe it's because it's Maggie, and I believe more in her character that she wouldn't let him live anymore. And that's why it bothers me a little bit, because I feel like this makes, you know, this takes away from Maggie's character a little bit. But you, like you said, if, if they're setting up some actual really good reason that she needs to keep him alive, then fine. I just am not there yet, and I don't know what it is, right? Yeah, I, I have hopes. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing you were talking about just now is the next scene where uh, Gage appears in the other train car. And as we know, he disappeared in the first episode, uh, but here he is back. He wants to come through, in fact, the whole group or most of the group wants to let him in, especially Alden. Uh, but the rest of the group says no. And ultimately it becomes Maggie's decision. She says, no, it's too dangerous to open that door. There are zombies coming up behind him. And she lets him die at the hand of the zombies on the other side of the door. Um, but he, of course, takes out knives and stabs himself in the chest before the zombies there are quite on him. Um, and he calls her a liar as he's doing this. And yep. the zombies come up behind him and tear his guts out. Yeah, with their bare hands. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, rip apart a human being with your bare hands. It's quite, it's quite difficult. Not recently, no. <laughs> but then again, this universe, everybody is incredibly fragile it's true. in this universe. Everybody has an off button when you punch them, and they have an instant kill button when you stab them, uh, and their heads are soft, and but they heal very quickly. Like I've said many, many times, this is a weird parallel universe. Everybody's really fragile, but they have the healing abilities of the gods. If you're going to be that so, fragile, you're going to need to heal quickly because you're going to be hurting yourself constantly. Yeah. So it's, uh, which, you know, it kind of plays right into the fact that there are zombies, right? Mm -hmm. Humans are fragile. They die, but you know, they heal really quickly. So maybe there's coming, you can come back from that kind of thing. Maybe you can. This is another scene that pissed me off, though, because right after this Negan thing, I'm sitting here going, there's no reason not to try and help Gage. It seemed to me that they had time and, frankly, the ability to do it. All they have to do is open the door, let him through and reclose it. And I know it's probably not that simple and so on. And then you have zombies that might come through the door. But... When I think about the logistics of this too, like the zombies are all in a train car. They're all funneled through this one area. You know, we saw it later in the episode, taking them out as they approach you. It doesn't seem that hard. And these are all experienced zombie killers. So, you know, was, was Maggie letting Gage die out of spite or was, or did she really, really think it was too dangerous to let him through and therefore... So, so long, you know, so sad, Gage, you're dead. She's evil. That's the only real good explanation. And that's why she's keeping Negan alive for some nefarious purpose. We see that a couple of times later in this episode and we'll get to it. Okay. But uh, the only, it's getting more and more to be the only real explanation for her actions is that she is the bad guy. I'm starting to come around to this theory a little bit more. Like I... I'm, I'm questioning her character quite a bit here. Uh, in one case for letting someone live and the very next scene for letting someone die. It's really strange. I mean, when I put yeah. it that way, I sort of think, okay, that's complex and interesting, but it's pissing me off because I like Maggie and I don't like what she's doing. Yeah. Anyways, we go back over to Eugene. He's sitting in that hall still freaking out. He gets up and he goes over to the soldier to ask about Yumiko in the interrogation room. And the soldier says nobody's in there. He claims to not really even know anything about them. He even says to Eugene, what friend? And so now I'm going, oh my God, are you telling me that there's a twist coming where Eugene is like imagining and hallucinating all this and none of this is happening? And, and I started thinking, okay, maybe all the Commonwealth stuff is so confusing and weird because it's all in Eugene's mind. Did, did that occur to you ever when this conversation no, happened? No, there he was just gaslighting him. It was uh, the, the confusing part was why were they in this hallway if they, he told Eugene to leave? It's time for you to leave. It's like okay, so they were in this hallway by their own choice, which means they have the freedom to leave their cages to go into this hallway to just sit and hang out. And there's two guards that just kind of sit there and go, yeah, or stand there and go. Uh, yeah, you're fine. You can you can sit there if you want. This is a, this is a nice place to hang out yeah. right outside the interrogation rooms. No problem. I, I totally agree. It's confusing. It's just getting more and more confusing about the rules of this place. But I'm not going to lie. It occurred to me when 
when this was happening, you know, we saw this in the princess episode at the end of season 10. Uh, it's, it's all happening in her mind and, you know, Ezekiel wasn't really there and we don't find that out until something happens that it reveals it to us. And I'm like, oh my God, is that this scene? Is it just Eugene here? And the rest of them are like still in their train cars or something like that. I, I was thinking, man, I, this is so weird. I wouldn't be surprised if this was all in his head. Oh man. Now now that you mentioned that, that's a better explanation. (laughs) I think that would have been a great twist that everything was in Eugene's mind. He's been freaking the fuck out for a while now. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that would have been cool. And I think that would have been cool that Stephanie wasn't real either. Right, that that whole thing was imaginary as well. It would explain at least the, uh, you know, the satellite coming down and Eugene, you know, scavenging it for parts to extend the range of the radio. Well. That makes no sense whatsoever. But if it's all imaginary and he grabs these these things and everybody's like, okay, well, that seems a little bit weird, and he's the only one that's heard Stephanie's voice, this makes perfect sense. I like this a lot more. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm rewriting uh, continuity in the show to make this real. Well, you're going you're going back to a little farther than I would have gone back in terms of what's real and what's not. I'm just thinking like everything since they're locked in those train cars is uh, maybe in Eugene's mind, but I do not believe that's what the show is going for. They're simply going yeah. for the Commonwealth is weird and confusing, and we're not explaining it very well. Missed opportunity, I suppose. All right. Well, back to the train car. They're trying to get the door open at the other end. Uh, Negan looks nervous and says that he's having, quote, bad memories. Father Gabe asks him about what, and he doesn't answer. And are we supposed to know what Negan is referring to, Jason? What bad Uh, memories? Maybe in the house with his wife. Was that a thing? Is it? But, but. Are they triggered by being stuck in a train tunnel, in a subway train car? Am I forgetting something? I'm just not sure exactly what he's referring to here in terms of bad memories. I I do not know. Okay. So there's that. Uh, Gage reappears beyond the door as a zombie. So they didn't completely tear him apart. He's now dead and has come back. Well, that was the fuck you that Gage was uh, was doing, right? Yeah. He didn't stab himself in the head. He stabbed himself in the chest mm-hmm. so that he would die and he would uh, they would have to watch him get torn apart and come back as a walker. That was the that was the big fuck you, which I really appreciated. And, and that's what happens now. Like nobody seems to want to look at him and then Alden questions them all about it. Uh Father Gabe calls Gage a shell of a man who died a coward, which I feel is kind of harsh to be honest with you like father gabe come on man uh and he mentions that he died in the worst way imaginable except maggie says no there are worse ways to die and then she goes on to tell a story about a man she and herschel came across when they were on their on their own at some point um he has some food she helps him back to his home but she doesn't trust him and her intention when she get there gets there is to steal his food because they're starving. So she says she held a knife to his throat and pulled out a chloroform rag from his pocket, which he was going to use on her. And in the house, she finds what she refers to as three deformed, I wouldn't call them men. So she says she killed them and then goes upstairs and finds a female walker without arms or legs, with her eyes gouged out, tongue and vocal cords cut out as well. 
and apparently pregnant with a zombie baby moving around inside of her. Yep. She says that in the attic of this house, she finds three more women in this same state, but alive. No arms. Yeah, their heart's still beating. Heart's still beating. No arms, no legs. I assume pregnant, eyes gouged out, all that stuff. And Maggie claims that the first thing she thought is if they're still alive, there must be more food here. So she finds- And she kills them all. Uh, yes, she does kill them all. And then she says she finds the food, fills a cart with it, and her and her shall leave. And Maggie says that she feels nothing when she tells the group this story. Um, and she claims that the experience made her lose something, but, lo- but she, she says that it's sort of a good thing because it's made her realize that that's the kind of thing that's out there and that she appreciates things like Alexandria more and how important it is. She's kind of saying in a a way, it's one of the things that made me, well, A, sort of realize what's out there in the world, but also become desensitized, I think, to it a little bit. And regardless of what you encounter in the world, you just have to look out for number one and always steal the food. So a couple things, Uh, three, in fact. Uh, One, she says she feels nothing, but the emotional portrayal of the story, the emotional telling of the story, uh, makes that a lie. Uh, you know, I think she did a really good job of being emotional when she was telling this story. And then she says, I feel nothing. It's like, eh, I don't think I believe you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is that, uh, I believed every word of this story. I don't think it was fabricated, but I think that it was probably, or not even probably, I think it was part of her descent into madness, kill everybody, take the food, uh, you know, because everybody's evil. Yep. Uh, and the third thing, it's something that's been kind of creeping up on me uh, lately around this show. And it is, uh, you know, it's been a number of years since the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. And at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse, uh, you know, people were desperate because their lives were turned upside down and they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. And, you know, it being upsetting that, you know, loved ones have all died and yet they're still trying to kill them and there's nowhere to go. Uh, so people are doing what they needed to do. But it's been 10 years now. Yep. And for me, I have a hard time believing that humanity in general are still a bunch of assholes at this point. I think at this point, you know, we're a, we're a cooperative society. You know, if we weren't a cooperative species, uh, we'd be in a lot of trouble right now. And we are in a lot of trouble right now because there's, uh, you know, on a grand scale, uh, you know, the us and them syndrome uh, is, uh, is bad. But I think in general, they've had, you know, feudal systems in the past, you know, a thousand years ago where different city-states all... Uh, you know, were out for themselves, yet they traded successfully because they realized that cooperation is a good thing and generally can help everybody. Uh, and I have a hard time believing that the people in The Walking Dead aren't defaulting to that cooperative human nature, that they're still, you know, fundamentally evil assholes everywhere. Yeah. And, I- and it's it's been bugging me. Yeah, that's true. And, and 
like you said, especially 10 years in, right? I mean, you might think in the first six, 12, you know, 24 months or whatever, all those kinds of things would, would still be prevalent. But 10 years later, will, would people still be behaving in this way? And who knows, right? Who, who the hell knows? I, we, we live in a current society in the real world right now where I think we've lost the, the notion of cooperation between different cultures, different countries, whatever, right? Uh, a lot of it, yes and no. But think of it this way. Think of the worst disaster or the worst uh, situation that you've seen on the news. Every situation, you know, the a fucking horrific disaster. What do you see immediately afterwards? You see people trying to help. Mm-hmm. Always, 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 there are people trying to help. Uh, there's people that are not trying to help, but generally speaking, uh, every car accident, every, uh, you know, civil disaster, every explosion, every situation, there's always people getting in there and trying to help other people. And this is part of our nature, this cooperative nature of humanity, in my opinion. I think generally speaking, we're pretty good. We have this, we have a, a fucked up sense of us and them at the moment. Hopefully we can get to the point where everybody is considered us mm-hmm. as, as humans instead of, uh, I'd, I'd really like to get away from a them situation or a them mentality. But I have a hard time believing that even in the zombie apocalypse, uh, you know, there's only small communities left uh, and nobody's willing to cooperate. Everybody's trying to fuck everybody else's shit up. Always. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I think currently I have a, slightly more pessimistic attitude than you, because I do agree that you always see people trying to help, but I just feel like current society, there's not as much of that as there used to be. And second of all, I think sometimes you see people talking a big game and not putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to helping others around them. But I do hope and I do, I I wish that it was, that it was all about us and not the others and you know we're in this together more than it is right now yeah um so that's maggie's story now i wanted to talk a little bit about what the point of this story was at this juncture of this episode because i'm not really sure i got it entirely like first of all the story is horrific and you know it depicts something that i must admit I have this weird feeling that, you know, some writer came up with this and was like, you know what, boy, I would love to shoot this and show this on screen, but I don't think we can. I don't think we can get away with this. So let's just have her, her tell the story, which is a little bit easier to swallow maybe for some people. Um, so that was my, my first thought, but then what was the point of it? Is it to make us feel better about Maggie leaving Gage to be killed like that when I felt like there was ample opportunity to save him or is it simply to just remind us that in her travels Maggie has seen some serious shit and should we feel sympathy for her for that or on the other hand does this make her feel more like a villain and are they trying to balance the scales a little bit between her and Negan and this comes back to how bad is Negan how bad is Maggie and how did they get to these, their respective places, right? 
I don't know. I don't know exactly because the, to me, the story at this point in the episode felt a little bit out of place because I didn't really see what they were going for. Um, but again, maybe it's just to give us a feeling for Maggie's mentality at this point. Well, it's hard to say. I agree with you, but how we got there was, uh, you know, saying that he died and that what's his eyebrows died in the, uh, the most horrific way possible. Yeah. And then Maggie says, no, that's not true. I've seen some horrific things, horrific things. So it's kind of a, you know, I don't, and I say, and she said, I, I say this without emotion, so I don't give a shit about that guy. Right. Yep. He died a coward and uh, he deserved to die and I don't care, you know, uh, that's part of it. The other part of it was, uh, you know, maybe sympathy for Maggie for, uh, seeing some shit. Uh, for me, it's, uh, you know, just another indicator of her, uh, evilness. Yeah. Moment. It, it's a hold my beer moment, actually, when you, when you put it like that, right? It's, it's, he died in the worst way possible. And Maggie's like, well, <laughs> wait till you hear this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think, I guess it, it could be doing a lot of things here and maybe it's doing a little bit of all of them, but, um, all that aside, she lights a flare while she's telling the story for, for reasons I don't really understand other than to light her face up in red while she's doing this. And it almost became a bit of a campfire sort of situation, flashlight, you know, on your face telling a, 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 a scary story. Huh. Um, I kind of appreciated that. I thought that was sort of fun, but. What well, are you yeah, do? I was, I was a little worried that, uh, you know, they're stuck in, uh, uh, they're stuck in a subway car underground, uh, and you can't go forward. You can't go back. Uh, we're trying to bash down this other door yep. when the zombies coming through one door. So, uh, let's light the place on fire. Why you know, not? What, <laughs> we're already in a bad situation. Why not make it worse? Is it, is it motivation? Is it, what are you trying to do here? Cause, uh, flares don't just burn and are happy little candles, right? No. They put off a lot of fucking toxic shit. Uh-huh. You usually are supposed to light them outside and then stay away from them. Sure. Not go into a subway car and light them on fire when you can't yet get out. It was uh, it, for, it was a little weird. it was for ambiance is what it was for. It's like Maggie's like, I'm going to go into story time and I need some mood lighting. So I'm going to light this flare right here. Yeah, it was a little odd. All right. Before we move on, I have a holy crap moment from Sally. Hi, guys. This is Sally from Ocean Grove in Victoria in Australia. Um, just wanted to send in a holy crap for Asheron part two. I burst out laughing when uh, Maggie started telling her horror story and the bit about when she could hear the thumping noise. It really reminded me of all those ghost stories that we used to tell as kids of like the head getting um, the murderer thumping the head onto the roof of the car and all of those terrible campfire stories. Anyway, it did go downhill from there and it was quite horrific and dark, but that was all. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Sally. All right, let's move on, Jason. We go back to Daryl in his tunnel, uh, in his little round tunnel. And there's a zombie behind him now. So a zombie's caught up to him somehow. He manages to sort of turn himself around, shoot it, and then bust his way out the other end of the tunnel and kill a couple more zombies that are out there. And to do this, he uses a, a mace or a morning star. What would you call that thing? Uh, That's a morning star. I, I believe so, yeah. And 
I had I was questioning this because I'm like, where did Daryl get that? But apparently, according to the Walking Dead wiki, he first uses this weapon back in season ten when the Whisperers attacked Hilltop, if you recall. And I guess he's had it with him the whole time. I just didn't notice. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's you know a good twenty pounds. Why wouldn't you carry it around for uh, ever? Well, I mean, if you need a weapon, you're gonna do that. I just I don't know. I didn't. What? Notice how, it how many weapons do you need? You got your crossbow, you got two knives and a morning star. What else you got in there? You got, uh, you get your flashlight. That's, you know, important to have, uh-huh. uh, you know, maybe his everyday carry includes, uh, maybe he's got a bastard sword hanging on his back and you can't see it because they're all fucking magic and it's hiding in his magic vest with the wings. Yeah. Maybe actually come alive probably and lets him fly. Ooh, now that would be something. I can't wait till that happens. So uh, let me ask you about this t- side tunnel that he was crawling through. Sure. Uh, if you were designing a subway system and you had two different tracks that are separated by 30 feet, uh, that's no problem. Why would you have this tunnel that had grates on it that was at, uh, you know, chest high or waist high to, to move? Is it for drainage? Well, I was going to suggest drainage, but as soon as you said, you know, waist or chest height... Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Drains are usually in the floor, so water can, you know, drain down for gravity. Uh-huh. You have to be like, uh, you know, six feet of water before, or four, five feet of water before this tunnel would have any effect whatsoever. And then it would just balance the 10 feet of water in each tunnel so you can't use it. Yeah, so it's not drainage. What I think it is for is um, airflow, ventilation. I think. So why put grates on it? Well, I don't know. So people don't crawl through them. <laughs> well, people know. shouldn't be walking through tunnels in general, well, subway tunnels in general. Good point. But, you know, I don't know. They shouldn't be, but sometimes they do. So that's really all I can think of. Airflow. I don't think it's access from one to the other, because why not just have a door and a hallway, right? For like maintenance workers and stuff. I don't yeah, know. I mean, they have hallways. They have escape tunnels, right? All. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I spent some time uh, on the subways. Uh, way back when in Toronto, and I would stand right at the front. Remember those days when you could stand right at the front of the subway and watch everything? Loved it. I, I, yeah, it was, and you'd, you know, watch the tunnels. They had the round tunnels and the square tunnels, but they would, every so often they would have uh, an emergency exit. Mm-hmm. And they used those for uh, airflow. Because uh, you'd come, there'd be pressure up until then, and the, then there would be a shutter as the pressure re- was released as the train got to that that spot. Yep. But I don't recall ever seeing like round, you know, grates at waist high going from one subway to the other. Yeah. You know what? I, I don't either, but that doesn't mean they don't exist somewhere in subway tunnels. So if you're a subway engineer, as any listeners out there that can enlighten us as to what these tunnels would be for, let us know because I, I don't know, but, uh, Daryl definitely climbs through one and kills a zombie in there. Sure does. I don't know. Uh, now, after he kills these zombies with his Morningstar, he continues down this secondary train tunnel, and out of the darkness, Roy is back. He stumbles towards them. He's alive, but he's really injured. So it was Roy and Gage that disappeared last episode. Yep. Gage came back, became a zombie, and now Roy looks you know, really injured. Um, before Daryl can do anything, dog jumps on a nearby zombie and Daryl manages to shoot it without hitting dog. 
And I was a little worried that Dog was going to take this arrow instead of uh, the zombie, but that's not what happens. No, Daryl's friggin' surgical with that thing. Okay, yeah, he certainly was in this case. Uh, he kills a couple more zombies and then tends to Roy. Roy says that he went topside, he lost the ammo bag, he also lost Gage, and he hands Daryl a gun and a grenade. And I'm like, oh, poor Roy, he's dead, he's bit, he's all torn up, and he's just giving Daryl what he had left, and that's it for Roy. Uh, bye, Roy. Bye, Roy, exactly. So back in the train car, they pry the door open, but are you know immediately blocked by another one with a train, like one of the seats from the subway train jammed up in front of it. Walkers are coming in the other end. They decide they have to stand their ground and fight them off, which is what they wanted to avoid earlier by not opening the door for Gage. So what was the point? Uh, Duncan, the big dude from Maggie's team, is trying to bash the other door in. And the rest of them use guns, arrows, knives, whatever, to try and hold off the zombies, including Gage, who is the first one through the door and the first one to get shot by Father Gabe. Right. So Daryl hears all this, what's going on. He runs towards them. That's quick. Duncan informs them that there are zombies coming from the other side as well. And so they're getting surrounded in this train car. Maggie hands Negan a gun. And he goes and starts shooting the second group of zombies kind of through the crack in the door that they've managed to push open. So they're not in a great situation here. They got zombies, zombies coming in from both ends and the ammo bag is gone and they, things aren't looking so good. Yeah. But at least they lit a fire. But at least they used up their flare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, Daryl, because he was in this other tunnel, he ends up behind the zombies in the, uh, in the far train car. And he uses a handgun and a flashlight to make his way through the train car, shooting each one in the head as he goes. And this whole sequence is shot from a side camera outside the train as he sort of pans across and the camera moves with him. I got to admit, it was a very, very cool scene. It was. Did you count the shots? No, I did not. I did not either, but there was a lot of them. Okay, well, I'm going to give them a pass on that because this was probably Daryl's most, like, action movie, heroic, fun time scene that I, I think he's ever had. And I enjoyed watching it, I gotta say. Great cinematography and just a fun look to it all with the flashlight and he'd shoot each one in the head as he got up to it. Pretty well done. Imagine how cool it would be if he ejected a magazine and reloaded it in the middle of that. Oh, that would have been even cooler. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's the kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So It's too bad. Too bad they didn't do that. Either way, I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, after some more zombie killing, because he does run out of bullets eventually, he removes the seat that's blocking the door. He's killed all the zombies there. Uh, the rest of the gang run through, but, you know, the zombies are coming behind them. So Daryl takes out the grenade that Roy gave him, jams it in a zombie's mouth, kicks him back through the door, closes the door, and it explodes, With and all of the zombies are blown to bits. Daryl saves the day, takes them all out. 17 shots, I just counted them. Oh, awesome. <laughs> How many, uh, does the magazine hold 18 by any chance? Well, no, probably, I'm not sure. It depends on the, the magazine. They have extended magazines, but uh, uh, 17's a lot. It's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 
nine, ten, maybe. Okay. Well, so it, it's not it's not a, it's two mags worth, right? So mm-hmm. it would have been if he had ejected and reloaded, it would have been perfect and uh, more actiony. I would have liked it a lot more. Yeah, I liked it a lot, but you're right. That would have just put it over the top because it would have just been so awesome. Yeah. All righty. Well, everyone in the train car appears to be kind of safe now. So we go back to the cages at the Commonwealth. Uh, Eugene is in there. He's sharpening a stick into a shiv. And then a couple of soldiers come to get him and he hides it up his sleeve. So he's now taken into the interrogation room and, uh, you know, he questions what's happened to his friends. And he's clearly still nervous. He's sweating a lot. Mercer tells him that the only thing that gets him riled up is out there killing the dead. So he's kind of saying, like, the only thing that gets me, like, riled up like you are right now is going out there killing zombies. Where do you get a stick? Uh, well, Eugene, I don't know. Who knows? There's probably just sticks hanging. There's probably a broom that he found there and he cut it in half and he's shaving it down. I don't know. What was he sharpening with? Let me check here. Does he have a knife? Uh, He must have a knife on him. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell what he was using. A (laughs) Q-tip? Who knows? Anyway, uh, yeah. He's sharpening a stick with something that was probably just as sharp. Add to the, yeah. Add to the confusion. Add to the questions. I don't know. He could have just sharpened his toothbrush. I assume they given had given him all toothbrushes. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> I don't know. I was once asked uh, if, you know, what is the one thing you would use a toothbrush for other than brushing your teeth? And my answer was, well, if I'm using a toothbrush for anything other than brushing my teeth, I'm obviously in jail, so I must be making it into a pointy shiv. Oh, man. My first thought was uh, cleaning the dust off of Lego. Right. A nice soft tooth, uh, soft bristle toothbrush. Uh, it's great for getting in crevices and stuff for mm. uh, getting the dust off. That was, yeah, you making shiv, yeah. me cleaning Lego. Yeah, a little bit different, which reminds me I should probably clean my Lego. It hasn't been dusted in a long time. Uh, anyhow, Mercer advises Eugene not to lie when uh, he asks him again where uh, these two questions, where their settlement is and why were they at the train station. And so the next scene is Eugene answering the question. And here's another one. I I seem to enjoy these interrogation scenes because I really liked Yumiko earlier and I really liked this one as well. It was good. It was great. So Eugene basically throws himself under the bus here to avoid telling them anything else and making them believe his story. Because when you listen to what he says, he, he, yes, he tells them the truth. He talks about Stephanie, the woman on the radio. He wants to find her, um, and all that stuff, but he doesn't reveal where their settlement is. He doesn't reveal how big it is. He doesn't really reveal anything new to them, but what he does tell them makes them buy into the story and believe it. And I thought from a character standpoint, this was amazing. And I thought, you know, Josh McDermott was also amazing in this scene, just like um, Eleanor was in the Yumiko scene. And the sort of crux of it, I think, that pushes it over the edge for these people is that he wants to meet Stephanie and he reveals that he's a virgin. (laughs) And that's kind of like he's distracting them with this poor sob story of his to avoid telling them anything else. And sort of forcing them to believe them, believe him, because who would make up a story this pathetic, you know, other than Eugene? 
Yeah. For those of you taking notes, this is how you tell a lie. This you is how you do to, it. Yeah. You admit to something uh, that is incriminating in order to distract from the big lie, and you tell of enough of the truth to imply the lie. Yeah. So, yeah, this, uh, this is the mark of a, uh, a preternatural liar. This was genius. It's so good. It's so genius. I mean, great writing and the whole thing just was executed really well. So I quite enjoyed it. They buy it. Mercer and the interrogators, they totally eat it up. So they bring Eugene back to a train car. He goes inside. His friends are there. And according to Ezekiel, they treated them pretty well. Uh, and everything seems okay now. Uh, Mercer comes in and explains that they have successfully completed processing and are being welcomed into the Commonwealth, and they will be taken to orientation next. Yeah, good so, for them. Good for them. They, are, they do not have to go for reprocessing. They're going into the Commonwealth as part of the community. That's exciting. Yeah, and uh, Eugene brought up, uh, you know, my point of, uh, you know, what does processing mean? Are you like processing as in uh, uh, talking to us and about uh, education or are you processing like baloney is processed? (laughs) That's right, because one sounds better than the other. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, I do love my baloney. Well, of course, but you don't want to see how it's made. Uh, No, Uh, yeah, I I like baloney a little too much, I think is the problem. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I, I can't get enough. I, I've, you know, it's been decades. I've been eating bologna for, for decades. I shouldn't. I know that, but I, uh, it, it's never treated me badly. I just, I just love it so much. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you got to have your vices in life and bologna is yours. F- fried bologna sandwich. Oh, there you that's go. good stuff. Good <laughs> stuff right there. All right. Well, Mercer knocks on the door. Uh, he's inside the tr- this train car with them. So he knocks on the door from the inside. It opens. In steps a woman who introduces herself as Stephanie. She is real. Uh, well, this woman is real, but this is not the real Stephanie, Jason. This is not who Eugene was talking to on the radio. This is fake Stephanie. So, Well, how do you know that? The Commonwealth still has something up their sleeve. Is, is the voice different? If you did a comparison of the voice, how do you know it's fake Stephanie and not real Stephanie? Well, maybe this is a little bit too much inside baseball, but this is not the actress that has been cast as Stephanie. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not in, in world uh, knowledge. It's, uh, it's knowledge of... Uh, so this actress has not been cast as Stephanie. What about the original actress that did the voice of Stephanie? Is, is that the same actress that's been cast as Stephanie? It is, yes. Okay, so there's that. But this actress is a different actress. So when I look at the credits for this actress in this episode, it's not going to say Stephanie. That is correct. And what, what does it say? Does it say not Stephanie or no. Stephanie-like? Or? Stephanie in quotes. <laughs> this well, is, that. quote, Stephanie. <laughs> that's, like, that's like saying, that's like telling, uh, you know, I'm going, I promise to tell the truth and then holding your fingers behind your back crossed. Right. Exactly. That's what they're okay. doing. Here. All right. Gotcha. So as far as Eugene knows, this is Stephanie and he seems very, very happy to see her. We go back to the train gang. They are now exiting the subway tunnels. So they've, they've made their way back to the surface. 
they stop, they see the stars above them, which is, I guess, kind of nice after they've been underground for so long. Negan returns the gun, the handgun, to Maggie, uh, but he holds onto the barrel a little uncomfortably long as she's trying to take it from his hand. Yep. Uh, that's just a Negan thing. Uh, Daryl looks at his $100 bill message again and explains to Maggie what it is. Um, and he claims to have seen nothing else interesting down there, which I don't think is true. I think there was a lot of interesting stuff down there. So that makes me feel like he's holding something back and this is going to come up again in the show. Who knows how, well, who knows when? Well, have you met Daryl? I mean, if he's going to say, uh, what he saw, it's going to take like half an hour to explain it. Right. You know, I mean, he doesn't want to do that. So it's just like, no, I didn't see anything down there. Nothing, nothing interesting. Because it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's not It's not something that uh, he feels is going to have a bearing on their survival situation. It's just a bunch of shit that he saw down there. And uh, I don't know why he kept the $100 bill uh, with a note on it. Uh, maybe because of uh, him and his brother. Uh, you know, it's a family thing. nostalgic for him and his brother losing their parents and, you know, being together. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't believe that that mural with the crowns doesn't depict something that is going to be in some way important as the season goes on, or at the very least just referencing something else that we're going to learn more about. But I wouldn't be surprised too if Daryl like kind of never brings it up again, uh, un unless he's forced to for some reason, but right, I don't really know. Right. Uh, Maggie tells them that they are going to take a detour to a hidden supply depot set up by Georgie, if you remember her, before they continue on to Meridian, which is their ultimate goal. She says it's got weapons, food, supplies, all that stuff. And Negan says he knows where it is. So again... So this is the ruse. This is Maggie leading them into a trap. And I kind of knew that, or I didn't know it. I suspected it as soon as I saw this. I'm like, this is how you do a successful con. You say... We need to go somewhere else to get supplies and weapons because we lost our supplies and weapons and we need the guide to the city to say where it is. And she knows where it is, but she needs Negan to say where it is because she knows that going from point A, where they are, to point B, where the supply drop is, goes through the area that she wants to go through, but she needs Negan to point the way. It's all very mysterious and nefarious because yes. what, because what happens next is they're approaching the supply depot, apparently walking down a road. They come to a section where there are all these bodies strung up upside down from trees. Also Roy is with them, which is uh, fun because I thought Daryl left Roy back in that uh, tunnel, but apparently not. He's patched him up and he's brought him with him, which is great, except suddenly an arrow comes out of nowhere and hits him straight in the face. So <laughs> fucking Roy. Roy. Roy got one more scene and uh, just moved on. Adam in Texas wrote, holy crap, did you see Daryl save that dude who was injured on the railway tracks only to have him get immediately killed by the Reapers? The old double red shirt bait and switch. Oh, and that's why she let what's his name die. Gage? Okay, Gage. That's why she let Gage die 
uh, on the other side of that door because she told them to take off with the guns and the ammo and the, the supplies and stuff so that this situation would be needed. And then when he shows up again, she's like, I can't have him back here telling his goddamn story. He needs to die. Wow. That may uh, actually that, be true. That makes sense now. Holy shit. Well, they get ambushed. So Roy takes an arrow to the head. Um, a knife of some kind comes flying and gets coal in the leg. Another one of Maggie's people. Everybody takes cover. And the episode ends with a shot of a very well-armed group of mask-wearing people walking in sort of a formation towards them. Which is the worst ambush I've ever seen in my whole life. Okay, fair enough. It's the worst ambush, but they certainly looked scary and imposing doing this. Yeah, again, style over substance, right? Like you ambush from the sides and you don't, and you get, you cover the, 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 the retreat and you can't go forward, you can't retreat, you can't go left, you can't go right. That's a good ambush. You don't just shoot somebody from uh, far away from a single location and then walk menacingly towards them in a bunch. I know. It's very true, <laughs> but maybe that looks cool, yeah. right? They're walking down the road with all these people hanging from the, from, uh, you know, where they're been strung up. I'm not sure exactly what the purpose of that was, but you know, holy shit, does it ever look cool? But yep. uh, it just, it, it, tactically, it makes no sense whatsoever. I totally agree with you. We've talked about the, uh, conditions or the, uh, features of a successful ambush on the podcast before over the years. And this is not them. This is, this does not meet that criteria. However, maybe they needed to do that so that like our group of heroes walking down the road weren't all immediately killed because that would be a uh, kind of a, huge Oh yeah. Bummer. Right. You know, right. Successful ambush killing everybody. I mean like, well, I guess that's the show. That's it. We're done. Let's go see how those walls are doing in Alexandria, I guess. I mean, you know, Carol's still alive. I guess there's that. Yeah. Anyways, they, these are the Reapers. They look pretty scary and that's it. Episode is over. But man, oh man, all this Maggie stuff, it feels like it's falling into place. And, you know, maybe you and I are sitting here sort of willing it to happen a little bit, but God. You're right. Gage can't come back because he took off to take the weapons away. It all makes so much sense. Oh my God. Oh, if that doesn't happen now, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, sure. Jeez. Okay. Well, that's the episode. Second half of the season 11 premiere. Um, I had a lot of problems with it, but the stuff I liked about it, I really liked. What did you think overall of this one? I, I was a little, little disappointed, I think, with some of the kind of weirdness or dumbness. I don't know how better to describe it. Well, there's some plot holes, uh, you know, big enough to put a planet through. Right. But other than that, uh, I thought some of the, 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 the acting was really well done in this yeah. episode. Like there was some good acting. There was some good scenes, yep. you know, where people had to be upset. They were upset. Uh, Fucking Josh, Josh McDermott, is that yep. his name? Yep. You know, I thought he did a really good job. He was a friggin' disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, overall, I thought it was, uh, it was pretty good. You know, I tend to nitpick the shit out of things, but, uh, that's not abnormal. I can like something and still have major faults with it. Sure. On a nitpick level. Yeah. Like that clock. When they showed the clock, it was ticking. Clocks like that don't tick. What clock? 
there was a clock. They had a shot where they were in the uh, Yumiko was in the interrogation room, uh-huh. and the opening establishing shot was of a clock, and it was like three thirty or something like that in the afternoon, and they the the background noise was tick tick tick. It's just like, yeah, that's a school clock. Those things don't click. They just sweep. Okay, well. <laughs> anyway, that, that's if I nitpick things. You know, remember that nitpick dial? That was all the way up. To, I still managed to bring it up, but I'd, at the time, I didn't bring it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that fell off the, you know, if I dialed it back a little bit, that kind of thing fell off. I tend to nitpick things and still enjoy them. I think overall, I enjoyed this episode, even though uh, uh, I had some issues with it, like you say. Um, on the, it was more on the Commonwealth side than on the train side. The train side of things, I, I, I think I rather enjoyed, uh, even though, and I think it has to do with the fact that, uh, Maggie's inconsistency now makes sense. Uh, if she's the bad guy, <laughs> right. If she's not the bad guy, it falls apart. But yep. so far, uh, I'm hanging my hat on this, uh, uh, on, on Maggie being the, uh, the antagonist yep. uh, for this particular season. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? You, I'm starting to think, I'm starting to come around to your side more and more every episode. I think some of the inconsistencies and the just weirdness in general bothered me, but there was still lots to like. Like you said, the acting was all really good. You know, even though I didn't totally understand the point of Maggie's horror story, I appreciated watching her deliver it. You know, she did, Lauren Cohen did a great job. And uh, why light a flare? I don't know. It lit up her face all red and scary. Like that's- They needed some color. This, that whole train thing was uh, uh, surprisingly well lit for a tunnel. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't bring that up either until now. I still seem to bring this shit up. But, uh, you know, they needed a little splash of color. And how do you do that? (laughs) Light some shit on flare. Yeah, I know. And that's that's the thing. Like- you know, it's, there's this one kind of weird thing that I question amongst us in the middle of a scene that overall I think is really good. So it's just a funny balance in this episode. I think the Commonwealth stuff has way more problems, as I've said, because I just can't wrap my mind around what is happening in this place. Uh, but maybe we're through that now and I can put it behind me. They've been welcomed into the Commonwealth and we'll just go from here. Maybe it'll make more sense. I sure hope so because it's been a bit of a rough start there. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, I still think these were entertaining episodes, and the the Daryl scene coming through the train car was close to perfect. All we needed was a, a reload, and it would have been, you know, 10 out of 10 for me. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, there you have, have you it. Seen, have you seen the John Wick movies at all? Yeah, I've seen one, I've seen the first one, maybe the second one too. So, uh, you know, the John Wick movies are, and Keanu Reeves in particular, I mean, it's kind of a a perfect storm of uh, action adventure uh, kind of thing. So, you know, Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves uh, really kind of gets into this kind of role where it takes a lot of uh, training and practice in order to get it right. And the whole thing is directed and written by a bunch of, uh, a bunch, I don't know, probably one uh, stunt coordinator, right? Like this, it's made by people that do this for a living and then know this shit. Sure. Uh, and so they made it uh, and it's uh, the way, and there's little things that I've, I've seen some, uh, 
um, you know, to go on a bit of a side here, there's, uh, I've seen some descriptions of the John Wick um, universe and the John Wick movies where depending on the weapon he's using, they actually take into account the idiosyncrasies of that weapon. Like he reloads and then he, uh, there's one weapon that he, in particular he uses, he cocks it halfway to look at the round in the chamber. And apparently that weapon tends to jam after a reload. And the smart thing to do is to make sure everything's fine after you reload it before you use it again. And he does that in the movie, right? So the, it's the little things like that, that really, uh, that really get you as well as the action and the adventure, uh, of, you know, the, the coordination and uh, the choreography of the, uh, specific action scenes. And then in general, the John Wick movies have this weird mystique where, uh, you know, there's assassination guilds and special hotels and there's currency mm-hmm. and there's, you know, it's, it's this whole, whole weird universe that, uh, that they've established that makes it kind of entertaining on that level. But this kind of thing, uh, that Daryl was doing was kind of a combination of two things. One is a combination of John Wick, you know, being awesome shooting this scene as yep. well as Snowpiercer, which, uh, was all set on a train. Right. And I, sure. think I alluded to that before. And this was, uh, from, uh, right to left and Snowpiercer was all left to right. So at least they switched things up that way. But, uh, I agree with you. The scene was really, uh, was really entertaining. If he had real, if it reloaded in there, I think that, uh, that would have made it all that much better. I think so too. A lot of people compared the Daryl scene here also to the hallway battle scene from old boy. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't think I have. So, so that I actually went back and checked out that scene earlier today and I can see the, uh, the parallels, but it, it didn't really seem as, um, similar once I watched the old boy scene again, because that's a scene where he, there's like a whole bunch of dudes in this hallway and it's shot in like one long take from the side and he goes through and he's fighting them all, but it's much, it's much less fluid. It's much more, it's much rougher, right? Like he takes hits, he's, he's down, he's up, you know, Daryl just walks through one shot each to the zombies and that's it. And, you know, I know it's not going to be exactly the same, but, uh, I suppose, in a way, there could be a bit of an influence there too. But anyways, um, pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. And uh, cool. yeah, John Wick, John Wick is fun. I should go and watch the rest of those. There's been three of them or four of them? There's three of them. I haven't seen right. the uh, the third one uh, either, uh, right. but I've seen the first two. Good stuff. Uh, we need more, do we need more John Wick in our Walking Dead or do we need more Walking Dead in our John Wick? Don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. It's a whole other podcast. Okay, Jason, that is going to do it for our recap. Unless you have anything else about this episode you want to bring up? No, sir. Okay. Before we call it a night here, we need to send out some thank yous and we need to give away our episode two prize pack to a patron of the Talking Dead podcast. So before we do that, I want to send a thank you to new and uh, new, well, new patrons and others who have recently adjusted their patronage amount. That would be Kent C. Thank you very much. Gabby M. Penny L. 
Will G, Shenandoah G, and Carl W. Thank you to all of you for either becoming patrons or modifying your amount. Um, so this week's prize is a 164 die-cast replica of the 2009 Dodge Challenger that Glenn drove in season one. Remember oh, the, right. Remember the red yeah. Challenger that he drove into the quarry? Uh, yep. This is sort of a Hot Wheels size version of that car, um, and it's kind of cool. It's very cool, nice. I think. Nice, nice, nice. So, Jason, please, if you wouldn't mind, reach into the Talking Dead prize bucket and pull out this week's winner if you can. Okay, so this one, uh, this time the uh, the prize bucket, what I've done was I wrote uh, little slips of paper. Uh, I wrote names on little slips of paper, and I put it into a giant bag of hair. And I know that sounds bad, but I thought that maybe it would uh, it would make things a little more fair because I really don't want to reach into a bag of hair. But uh, I'll do it for the podcast and to make sure that it's fair and quick. I'm going to pick the first name. I'm not going to rummage around in any way, shape, or form. Whose hair is uh, it? Uh, it, I really don't want to get into it. Okay. Uh, it's just this big bag of hair I have. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to reach into, uh, to, to, to big bag of hair. It's at least it's dry. Cause if it was wet hair, there's no fucking way I'd reach my hand into it. No thanks. But anyway, into the bag of hair I go and, uh, the name, uh, okay, let me wipe this off a little bit here. Okay. So I can read it. Yeah. Okay. Eric S. All right. Eric S. Congratulations for being pulled from the bag of hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get rid of this bag of hair now. I've 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 had it long enough. Okay, next week we can go back to the bucket or some other vessel of your choosing. Yeah, we'll find something. All right, very good. Eric S., thank you so much for being a patron and congrats on our episode two prize. I will be in touch uh, via Patreon and email most likely to sort out the details with you. Um, and to everyone else, Thank you, of course, for being a patron of the show. And, you know, you can join at any time. If you would like to become a patron and you are not already to get in on these, you know, the chances for these prizes that we're sending out, visit patreon.com slash the talking dead. Uh, and frankly, you know, your odds are pretty good. We only have like 80, 80 patrons, something like that. Um, so, you know, 24 of you, well, 22 now because we've done two already are going to take home one of these prizes and i'm realizing that it's going to cost me a fortune in shipping but whatever i am whatever i am totally dedicated so um become a patron at patreon.com slash the talking dead and you can be part of these draws as season eight goes on congrats again to eric s this week i will be in touch all right coming up next on the podcast well it will be later this week on Thursday. We will get back to our regular schedule of feedback shows. So please send in your thoughts, your comments, your questions about the first two episodes of season 11. I think there's a lot to talk about, especially in this second episode. Uh, so if you have any thoughts, we would love to hear your feedback. I've already started collecting some of your emails and so on from episode one, but let's get some episode two content in there as well. We'll be recording that in a few days on a Thursday night this week, as usual. Um, so try to get it in before then if you can. You can do that by visiting TalkingDeadPodcast.com, clicking on Send Voicemail at the top, and leaving us an audio message. We love getting those. It's an audio podcast, of course, so 
always love to hear your voices. Um, you can also just record a message on your phone, for example, and then send it in by email. And to do that, you can email stuff to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook if you want at facebook.com slash the talking dead. Alrighty, that is going to do it for this week's podcast. We'll be back, as I said, later in the week with feedback. So get those comments and questions in. Until then, though, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking Dead. Nope, didn't do that right. (laughs) (laughs) It was close. It was close. I mean, and I'm Jason. (laughs) Gonna do that again. Gonna do that again. (laughs) Sure, I think we nailed it. I'm not so sure about that. All right, here we go.